Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. And I am Brett Witterbull. Welcome. It is episode two of season three of Devious Motives 2022 right in front of us. And it is absolutely an incredible time to uh, be somebody who is watching politics as closely as we all are. You know, for those people that try to tell you that uh, all politics is local. Well, they're basically right. But there's a whole bunch of stuff happening out there that matters in the world of politics and we are tracking the ebbs and flows of all of this in every possible way welcome and don't forget you can always catch up with us on twitter at winterbull show and at the brett winterbull show facebook page as well let's get underway with a question that i think is mighty relevant especially given the current crises that we're facing around the country no politics is ever conducted in a vacuum Uh, You say something, there's a reaction, somebody is offended, somebody is impacted, somebody has decided to take a a, a counter position of some sort. And this has been made abundantly clear as we look back to last weekend. Uh, Much was made about Hurricane Ian and the impacts that we were going to see as a result of, uh, of the storm coming in. But there was another storm that only flashed for a brief moment in time, and that storm was the storm involving Vice President Kamala Harris uh, making an outstanding tour to uh, Northeast Asia. You'll recall uh, many of the pundits laughed this off. Many of the critiquers laughed this off. I played the clip a couple of times uh, where uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, going to pay her respects uh, to Shinzo Abe's funeral there in Japan, uh, stopping off in South Korea, going to the DMZ, and then, of course, acknowledging, mistakenly, of course, we understand that, that the North Koreans were one of our long-term allies. Well, you know, this is a real problem. Last week, Kamala Harris made a major blunder in calling North Korea our ally, and in the last 72 hours, they've replied by testing missiles. They're shooting missiles at Japan. And I know it seems kind of shocking to think about that. Uh, we, we have a tremendous complement of uh, armor and military. Uh, we've got warships stationed in Japan, around Japan, uh, throughout Asia. And, and of course, uh, we have a very, very strong ally there in South Korea that really relies on our deterrent factor to uh, dissuade any bad actors from doing the sort of things that they do, right? So it's abundantly clear what it is that we're seeing right now. And uh, you're seeing an aggressive play by Kim Jong-un to say to the rest of the world, look, I am not your ally, America. And in fact, I still matter. That's what he's saying. So it's what he's saying. So uh, to go back and take a look at some of the reporting uh, coming out of his Agence France Press and some of the area uh, reportage, as they call it, North Korea's military fired a ballistic missile over Japan 
Tuesday morning local time, prompting a warning to residents to take shelter, according to the Japanese prime minister's office. Now, why does this matter? It marks a major escalation following spate of missile tests in recent weeks by Pyongyang, which fired a ballistic missile towards South Korea's eastern waters last week ahead of Vice President Harris's visit to the country. This is nothing new. I mean, we're not seeing anything that is uh, popping up that's suddenly going to be earth-shattering. Uh, the, the North Koreans do like to run these operations where they show the rest of the world that they are still a mighty military and an important one at that, right? So we know why this matters. The action, according to uh, the folks at Axios, note that it marks a major escalation following a spate of missile tests in recent weeks by Pyongyang. It's interesting because a spate means... Eh, it doesn't really affect us. If they shot a missile towards the United States, it wouldn't be regarded as a spate. It would be uh, regarded as a, uh, a very, very dangerous thing indeed. But I don't want to digress. So they fired ballistic missile towards South Korea's eastern waters last week ahead of her visit. Now they've shot stuff off uh, a- aiming for the, uh, the, the Japanese uh, nation. This is becoming a sticky uh, wicket, as they say. The Biden administration condemned the first missile launch over Japan since 2017 as dangerous and reckless. And Ned Price, a man who is perfectly set to do absolutely nothing about anything at any time. He's the uh, spokeshole over at the State Department, said in a statement early Tuesday, the launch was a blatant disregard of multiple U.N. Security Council resolutions and its deeply destabilizing uh, implications for the region. Careful, you make the United Nations angry, they may, uh, they may absolutely drop you from, uh, from search results over on the Google. So the missile was believed to have passed over Japan toward the Pacific Ocean just before 7.30 a.m. That's according to the Japanese prime minister. And it landed in the Pacific Ocean 17 minutes later. Uh, Tony Blinken uh, and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan spoke with their Japanese and South Korean counterparts, according to the statements issued by the White House and the State Department. Now, remember, this is incredibly important, okay? You had the vice president of the United States make a journey over to that part of the world, uh, a part of the world that is beset by a lot of challenges. The People's Republic of China is constantly saber rattling. The North Koreans are constantly saber rattling. So there, there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of icky to go around um, in that neighborhood. And you need to show the R word. No, not Republicans. You need to show resolve. You don't need to go saber rattle. You don't need to go threatening people. But what you want to do is you want to look like you're large and in charge. Okay. And so herein lies the question. Why are we not really hearing about the direction of foreign policy in our country as we go into the midterms? Now, I know what you're saying. I can hear you yelling, yelling at me because I raised this question, but it's an important point all the way around. Number one. There is a role for the Congress and the Senate when it comes to foreign affairs. And, and I don't mean I don't mean getting down and dirty at 1130 in a cheap motel room in some place not to be named. I'm talking about a role to be played in foreign affairs, typically treaty ratification, the vote to send aid to countries who, who may be seeking our assistance. <clears throat> Ukraine, Ukraine. Um, but all these places, right? You know what's going on here. I know what's going on here. We see what's going on here. 
And we have had Congress and Senate, since it's controlled by the exact same party as the administration, just kind of operate as a rubber stamp when it comes to these policies. Nobody in the Congress or the Senate on the Democratic side of the aisle has stood up and questioned the lunacy that is doing a nuclear deal with Iran. And this matters to North Korea, because for a very long time, a very long time, the North Koreans and the Iranian regime have been tightly connected when it comes to proliferation. It's a big deal. Essentially, it works like this. The North Koreans buy oil from Iran. The Iranians, in return, work with the North Koreans to develop their nuclear weapons capability it's not just centrifuges that are going on there inside of of iran it's centrifuges that are going on inside of iran but weapons tests are taking place over in north korea at one point back in the in the in the bad old days of uh, the obama biden administration right after the the meltdown of the markets um it was believed that the iranians were carrying the north koreans to the tune of a third of their budget a third of North Korea's budget, not a third of Iran's budget, a third of North Koreans, North Korea's budget. And so as a consequence, this is a very dangerous reality because they farm out their nuclear tests, capabilities, all that sort of stuff to North Korea, where they test these weapons, these rockets that are being tested, these missiles that are being tested. And if they test an atomic weapon, um, it, it's going to benefit the the people in Iran, the mullahs in Iran. And, and that's a huge issue. So the question then becomes, okay, if there is a role for oversight from the House and the Senate, how come we don't ever see these hearings? It's because they are marching cheek by jowl. Uh, on the cheek, you, you've got Nancy Pelosi. On the jowl, you've got Chuck Schumer. And leading the parade are people like uh, Joe Biden, Tony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, Valerie Jarrett, uh, and Barack Obama, all people who were active counterparties to the uh, nuclear deals that were trying to be cut inside of Iran. So this is a hugely important point. It's a national security matter. It's a national security issue, and it really does matter by and large uh, to the folks that care about this kind of stuff. So keep an eye on all of this that is now going on. It's a hugely important narrative that we have to pay very, very close attention to because uh, we tend to think that Crime, immigration, uh, you know, sort of uh, inflation, abortion, all this sort of stuff is really the focus of the midterm elections. That is, to use a technical term, poppycock. It's poppycock. Why would you say it's poppycock, Brett? Because when it comes time to enter into agreements with foreign powers, when it comes time to enter into agreements with the United Nation on climate change, the United Nations on climate change, uh, uh, proliferation issues, sending weapons to uh, to the Ukrainians or anybody else, you're supposed to get the okie dokie when it comes to the Congress of the United States. It's not supposed to be a rubber stamp. Coming up, who's in charge in Washington? This is Devious Moments. And welcome back. I am Brett Witterbull. It is Devious Motives. Excited to be here with you. Looking at all these stories that are out there moving, it's really incredible. But let's dive in uh, to something that is uh, hugely important. And it has nothing to do with politics. 
by the way. I'm going to be heading over to Italy in June of 2023. So this coming June, we're going to be heading over to Italy, and I've got a sweet offer for you. The next seven couples who sign up will get $500 per couple off their trip. We're going to be living La Dolce Vita, the sweet life in Italy. If you are part of the next seven couples who sign up to join me, my lovely wife, and a whole bunch of great listeners to WBT and beyond, um, you're going to get $500 off your trip. Uh, reach out to our very good friends over at cruise-tour.com, cruise-tour.com. And of course, you can always reach out on the phone at 800-383-3131, 800-383-3131. Tell them Brett Winterbull sent you that you want to go to Italy with Brett. All right. When we, uh, when we broke just a matter of moments ago, we were uh, talking about the importance of leadership, the leadership component that exists, uh, in our country. But there's something that's fundamentally got to be answered right out of the box. And it's this. Who's the leader of the Democratic Party right now? Who is the leader? Now, I understand President Biden is certainly the titular head uh, of the party, right? He is the official president of the United States. He's the official leader of the Democratic Party. But really, like, who's leading the narrative there? Who is setting those paces? Remember, you've got an establishment in Washington, D.C. that is controlled completely, with the exception of the Supreme Court, uh, by uh, the left, by uh, Democrats. Uh, Chuck Schumer runs the Senate. Nancy Pelosi runs the House. And President Biden is running the executive branch. So who is it that's setting the narrative right now? I've got I've got terrible news for you. It's nobody of those three. It's nobody even in government. The people that are uh, running the narrative right now in Washington, D.C. are the media. That's right. The media, the media are setting the terms of this upcoming election, this upcoming debate. And so what does that mean? Like, uh, fundamentally, what does that mean as a person? Well, let me give you an example here, okay? Uh, we just watched a terrible storm come rocking through uh, South Florida. Well, it started in Puerto Rico and then into Cuba and then South Florida and then made its way all the way up the coast, including uh, places like uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and then up into North Carolina and West Virginia and, and is still delivering rain as we speak uh, there in uh, in the Big Apple. But who is it that's setting the tone? Who is it that's the leader there inside the Democratic Party? Okay, the person you'd have to spot, the person you'd have to acknowledge is the leader of the Democratic Party, is the person who's got the highest profile fight on our hands, and that's Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi was on with Colbert and was talking to Colbert uh, overnight about the fight in front of them. And here's what Nancy Pelosi had to say. When you're in the lead and you're in the stretch, you whip the lead. And that's what we are doing. We're whipping the lead to ensure a Democratic victory. I feel uh, just watching each of the races, forgive me for saying this, in a very cold-blooded way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as to which races Mm -hmm. we can win to ensure that we not only hold the House, but we increase our number. Now, can you imagine a head coach of a football team talking like that? Remember yesterday, depending on when you've heard the program, the first episode of Devious Motives, season three, 22 to 22, uh, I was talking about Roy Cooper 
And if you go listen to Roy Cooper, he was much more excited about talking uh, about climate change and and all that sort of stuff than he was talking about retentions. He his explanation was, well, you know, we have a lot more seats to defend inside the the governor's uh, houses out there. And it's important to pick the right sort of people to defend those seats. Yada, yada, yada. These are politicians that are running in a defensive fashion. I know the old narrative, right? Uh, Defense wins championships. It does, but you have to score points to get to the point of the championship opportunity. And that's a huge issue right there. Now, let's flip the table here for a quick second and go on the other side. Who is it that is, uh, as we speak, running the Republican narrative? I would argue it is one Governor Ron DeSantis, wouldn't you? Lee County. Why do you stand behind Lee County's decision to not have that mandatory evacuation until the day before the storm? Well, did you, where was your industry station uh, when the storm hit? Were you guys in Lee County? No, you were in Tampa. So that's, you know, they were following the weather track and um, they had to make decisions based on that. But, you know, 72 hours, they weren't even in the cone. 48 hours, they were on the periphery. Uh, so you got to make the decisions the best you can. I will say, uh, you know, they delivered the message to people. They had shelters open. Uh, you know, everybody had adequate opportunity to at least get to a shelter within the county. Um, but, you know, a lot of the residents did not... Um, did not want to do that. I think for probably for various reasons, some people just don't want to leave their home period, their island people, whatever. But I think part of it was so much attention was paid to Tampa that I think a lot of them probably thought that they wouldn't get the worst of it. So, you know, they, um, but they did. And I think it's, um, it's easy to second guess them, but they were ready for the whole time. He didn't walk away. He didn't walk away, didn't bail out, didn't say, get away from me. I don't want to answer your questions. I'm not interested in being a part of this uh, circus. That's not what I'm going to do. He, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He stood there and he took his medicine like like a leader. I mean, in many ways, he, he took it like a leader. But he wasn't done. Uh, they asked him in the overnight hours of this day, which would be Tuesday, if those of you guys uh, tuning in from, from at home on your podcast, um, they asked him, they said straight up, what do you think about the idea that the vice president of the United States wants to go equity when it comes to the... Uh, the restoration of, of people's homes and properties and all of that. What do you say about that there, Mr. DeSantis? I think she's trying to play uh, identity politics with a with a storm and a natural disaster. And, and I think it's ridiculous. And, and, and honestly, we had the FEMA administrator in Florida with us and she threw cold water on that. So that is not going to happen. It's totally not appropriate. Uh, you don't have to politicize every single tragedy in this country. Um, and I think people, I tell you, in Florida are really sick of the nonsense. They just want people to, to be helped. They want everyone to band together. And they want us to get these communities back on our feet. So that's what we're doing in Florida. And, and Sean, it's also the impacts span all demographics, all income levels. Sanibel has some very wealthy people. They also have blue collar people. You have other uh, communities, different race, different ethnicities. Who cares? We just want to make sure people have a chance to get back off their feet and get moving forward again. Now, I don't have a dog in the fight, but let me just tell you something. That answer that he just gave is indicative of a guy who uh, is sort of giving voice to his people, to the people of the United States, because he understands abundantly well what's at stake here, getting people back to what it is they need to do. And that is a hugely important point. Now, this is an important point as well. New polling that has come out of uh, of CNN uh, and a number of other outlets. Harry Enten is sort of their their go to guy over on CNN uh, talking about 
uh, the direction of this country. This indicates very bad news for President Biden, who apparently told Al Sharpton that he was running again for the presidency of the United States. Uh, in, in addition, this is not good news if you are part of that Biden team and you're getting excited about the midterms. Joe Biden's got a problem with African-American voters. Oh, take a look here. This is black voters, electoral preferences and pre-election polling. Look, black voters are the part, the core part of the Democratic Party. And as you can see here in the race for Congress, look, they're still getting 74 percent support in the pre-election polling right now. But compare that to the final polling for 2020 president and 2018 Congress. Back in 2020, it was 84 percent, 85 percent in 2018. So you're clearly seeing right here that there is less support for Democratic candidates for Congress among African-Americans. And you can look at the Republican column as well, and you can see that 12 percent, not exactly high, but that's actually the high watermark. It was 9 percent in 2020, 9 percent in 2018. So basically what was about a 75, 76 point margin is now down in the low 60s. So, look, Democrats still well ahead with African-Americans, but in a game in which you're trying to drive up margins, the margin among African-Americans for Democrats is clearly down. So what's going on here? What's the cause of this? You know, there's a lot of things that could be going on. And the truth of the matter is, when you look across polling, it's actually kind of hard to build up a large enough sample size to really dig in on a lot of questions. But I think that this kind of gets at the core part of it. Take a look at Joe Biden's approval rating among black adults. If you go back to January to June of 2021, look how high it was. It's 87 percent, 87 percent, basically matching what he got in the 2020 election. But look at that approval rating now in August and September of 2022. It's all the way down to 64 percent. Now, obviously, Joe Biden's approval rating with all Americans is down, but it's not down by anywhere near this amount. This 23 point drop among all Americans. It's only down about 10 to 15 points. So there is a disproportionate drop in Joe Biden's approval rating among African-Americans. And I think that's kind of driving why you're seeing Democrats running for Congress getting a significantly lower margin than we're used to seeing. Look, the facts of the matter are, and I'm not getting partisan here, I'm just going to give you an analysis, and I'm being sincere about this. Democratic Party is a coalition party. It's a coalition of different groups with different concerns. Think uh, climate change, think union workers, think uh, 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 black voters, Hispanic voters, uh, LGBTQ voters. It's a coalition of different uh, sort of folks. Um, You've got people that are going to vote only or predominantly on the abortion issue, uh, any of these sorts of things, you need to keep that coalition together. And if you start hemorrhaging parts of that coalition, you end up with a real problem on your hands. So when you say he's got 74%, now he's down to 67%, and you go, okay, yeah, what's the big deal with that? Well, that's you carved off 7%. That's 7% that goes potentially over to the Republicans uh, in in a few districts that that shave this off. It's a numbers game, pure and simple. That's what you're looking at. It is a numbers game. And that's the fundamental challenge that you've got in front of all the stuff that's happening right there. All of that stuff. Remember, politics is reactive 99% of the time. 99% of the time, politics is reactive unless you get a black swan event, something like the the mortgage meltdown, 9-11, COVID-19, stuff that people didn't foresee Then they'll kind of rethink the positioning. But by and large, politics and the way people decide they want to vote is a reactive play all day long. Ask yourself this question. Where did the gun issue go? Where did the domestic terrorists and the the insurrection issue go? 
what about the the fairly muted celebration of the first day of of an african-american woman on the supreme court uh with with uh, judge jackson i mean this is all huge stuff that ought to be applauded but what's the drag line here meaning meaning the issue that's dragging this administration down it's very simple to understand the drag line here is the economy and if you want to know why african-american voters are probably unhappy with what's going on in washington dc it's because of that. That is episode two of the Devious Motives podcast. I'm Brett Witterbull. Talk to you next time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.